Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, and it's verse 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful." the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. I'll pray. I'll find my page. Luke 6. I'm finding my page Luke 6 that uh, Jen just read to us. So so you guys could all, um, if you've got your Bibles with you, find the same Luke 6 verse 27. And I'll start off with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reveal yourself to us and you reveal yourself to us in your word and may we be uh, guided by your word. May, we, may you bring things to remembrance that we've forgotten in the past. May we uh, see new things that you have for us that we've never, our spirits have never seen before and may you uh, do a work in us that we become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Enemies, so welcome friends, but (laughs) but enemies, they're the people that you like. You like to see them put in their place. The person who makes, they're the person who makes life hard for you at work or at school or at uni. They're not the one that you want to spend time with. And that's why they're your enemy and they're not your friend. So who here is picking up the phone and saying, hey, enemy, come around for a barbecue this afternoon and, and, and maybe next week we'll have golf? Uh, who's sending out texts like, uh, hey, enemy, let's catch up for craft and coffee this morning? Now, the, they're the person who might belittle you, talk behind your back. They're not the one for whom you desire to love. So look what a ludicrous statement is written in my Bible here. (laughs) Love your enemies. They're the ones that you want to avoid. And surely it's a typo. Surely Jesus means leave your enemies. (laughs) They're the ones that you want to exterminate. Surely Jesus means level your enemies. Well, let's peel. Obviously, I'm being facetious there. Let's pick up on where things are up to in Jesus' ministry to make sense of what he's actually saying. And so far, at High Wycombe here, we've been working our way through the Book of Mark, exploring the life of Jesus. 
the universal king, the eternal king. And so far, Jesus has been overcoming uh, unclean spirits. He's been healing many. He's been preaching wherever he goes. The great message that the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, last week, those of you who are here, um, we saw that Jesus did a good work. He restored a man's withered hand. And on the back of this good work, the religious leaders went out to immediately seek counsel with the political leaders as to how they would destroy him. So Jesus, right from the start, had enemies. And right from the start, he starts talking about enemies in his teaching. And this is where we pick up today's events. Excuse me. I've chosen this passage because it's about the same point in Jesus' ministry that we're up to in Mark. Um, But I'll leave it to Jared to keep working through Mark and I'll insert an event that's not in Mark from one of the other Gospel accounts to give an example of the content of, of the types of things that Jesus was preaching at this time. So we come to Luke 6. And already in Luke 6, early on in Jesus' ministry, he's done enough to draw a great multitude. And they've followed him, seeking to hear him, seeking to be healed by him, seeking to have unclean spirits cured. And he proceeds to give them the teaching that they are after. So to summarise what, what he's saying in this discourse, which is from verse 20 in, in uh, Luke 6 on to the end of the chapter, sometimes it's called the uh, Sermon on the Plain. And uh, to summarise that, he's saying, live with a kingdom mindset. And that's the essence of what my sermon is about today. Live with a kingdom mindset. So adopt a kingdom mindset and cultivate a kingdom mindset. The kingdom is the opposite of what, uh, in, in the natural, we would normally expect. The kingdom belongs to misfits. It belongs to the reviled, he talks about early on in that discourse. It doesn't belong to the envied. It doesn't belong to the respected ones. So God's ways are opposite to the natural way of thinking. So what are God's ways? And we come to the passage here, verse 27. He starts by telling these people who are only finding out the, f- the first things about living life in the presence of the king. He says to them in verse 27, love your enemies, love your enemies. And it's not a throwaway line that he's saying because for, for all of verse 27 on to verse 35, He starts off that section, love your enemies, in verse 27, and he finishes that section in verse 35 with love your enemies, bookending all that he's saying about loving your enemies in between. And he starts with four commands, and they're all giving meaning to the one idea in verse 27 and 28. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray... For those who abuse you. So I'm going to ask two questions of, of Luke's writing here. Firstly, who are the enemies of the people in this crowd? He's not referring to the enemies of state, to the likes of the Roman Emperor and the Roman Empire. But he's talking about enemies on a personal scale. And we can see this from the three examples that uh, Jesus gives 
in the next two verses, verse 29 and verse 30. The enemy is the one who strikes you. He's the one who takes away your cloak. He's the one who takes your goods away. Now, all of us, as soon as we start living according to kingdom values, we'll have people around us who won't like it. They'll stand against us. And in this way, they are our enemy. They won't like it that our kingdom values, in which God is supreme and Jesus is our Lord, undermine their notion that human intellect and human power is the ultimate authority and they will do what they can to undermine us. Now, the second question I'll ask of Luke's writing here, what is love? So we're saying, what is, uh, who are the enemies? What is love? There's a good question, isn't it? In 2017, we in Australia here were given the answer to that question. The answer was, love is love. <laughs> it wasn't very helpful, that circular <laughs> definition. So we're going to have a look at, uh, at Jesus' three scenarios in verse, 20, in verse 29 and verse 30, and we'll elaborate for us what Jesus means when he tells us to love and to do good and to bless and to pray for. And we'll find that the love to which Jesus refers, it's a third option to the two natural ways of responding to an enemy. So the natural ways of responding to an enemy, there's one, first, is to cower in fear. And the other is to retaliate in kind. So if, if we're uh, confronted by an enemy, that's one thing we'll do. We'll either cower in fear, which gives weight to, their, to the evil that they're doing, and it promotes the evil being perpetrated. Or we'll retaliate in kind so that the situation escalates. They, they confront us with evil, we come back at them with some ungodly response in, and the whole thing just blows up from there. Now, to respond in love, as Jesus commands here, love your enemies, it's to demonstrate a trust in God that his ways will prevail in the end. Despite any short-term loss, there may well be short-term loss in, in uh, loving your enemies. But God's ways will prevail in the end. We can have a trust in God that that will happen. We'll have a look at the three scenarios in verse 29 and verse 30. So the first one, verse 29, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. Now, what is this strike on the cheek? If we, if we take two people, there's Asher and there's Uri, just to pick two names. And if Asher wants to give Uri the ultimate insult in, in the culture of this time that Jesus is speaking, he will uh, slap Uri across the cheek. That is the ultimate insult. And Jesus, so Now, Jesus here, when he's saying, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. He's not saying, take a beating, and then when you've taken that beating, then take another one. He's not saying, be a doormat to an aggressor. Um, because this would promote the, uh, the evil being perpetrated. But all he's saying is, let insults go through to the keeper. Don't trade insults. Let them go through to the keeper. That's the way of love. Pray for your, your abuser. Bless them 
that curse you. The second scenario, verse 29, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now this time, Asher is taking Uri's cloak. Why? Well, at this time, hardship and poverty were endemic. There was tributes to be paid to people above you. There was taxes to be paid to the government. And there was hard, hardship. It was widespread. Uri might have been a tenant farmer, scraping by. And finally, taxes are due. And he can no longer afford to pay the rent on his plot. He's got a small plot and he has to find money from somewhere to, uh, to pay the taxes. So instead of paying the rent, he pays the taxes and he, he no longer has the leasehold over, over that plot. So he's reduced to labouring. And the next taxes are due and he has nothing left for, with which to pay because he's been spending whatever money has been coming in has been going straight out again, subsistence living. And uh, he's only got one thing left, one thing that, that every person in society have. And they have this thing because it protects them from the summer sun, it protects them from the winter chills, and it's their cloak. And it's such a vital item to own in the whole of, of society that when God set up, uh, the nation of Israel in a way that everybody would be provided for, that everybody, that, that society would function well. So way back when he set up their society, in Exodus 22, one of his laws was, if ever you take your neighbour's coat in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? So a vital, Exodus 22 says, it's a vital item to own. But Asher takes Uri to court and Uri has nothing else to play with. So Asher is awarded Uri's coat. So what's Uri to do? He's not to sulk away into a corner and let this endemic evil flourish. But nor is he to retaliate. It's futile to rally against the decision of the court. The one thing he can do, he removes his coat, which I won't do, <laughs> and he removes his tunic, his shirt, which leaves him totally exposed to his creditor and to the people around him. And in Jewish culture, this nakedness brings shame. But it doesn't bring shame on the naked one. It brings shame on the one who has caused the nakedness. So this is the loving option, to expose the evil in a way that the enemy may be provoked to repentance. The third scenario in verse 30. Give to everyone who begs of you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So in this third scenario, Jesus seems to be addressing the richer person. Uri has struggled through the last six years. And this year his wife has fallen ill and the crops have failed and he just can't make ends meet. So he goes to his only possible source of credit. 
he goes to Asher. You would have thought he would have given up on Asher by now, but <laughs> he's the only one he can go to. He asks for a loan. Asher knows the law that they both live under. Remember, it's the sixth year now, and it's stated, at the end of every seven years, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbour. He shall not exact it of his neighbour. Deuteronomy 15, it talks about this. And we'll stay in Deuteronomy 15, because God preempts the natural human way of thinking when he says, for Asher's benefit... Deuteronomy 15, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, oh, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin." So Jesus encourages our friend Asher to give and to give generously with no thought of receiving in return. So the enemy here is the one who would take away from the excess of our abundance in order to supply for their necessities. And the way of love is to be generous, to trust that God will supply your needs despite what another might take. Jesus summarised the way of love here in verse 31. As you wish that others would do unto you, do so to them. So it's a well-known saying, but uh, I'll say it again. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He goes on in verse 32 to 34, and I'll read, read it out. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Or in other words, how is that to your credit? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, how is that to your credit? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And we can see um, what credit is that to you is written in the, in the third of those three things. Do, um, if you love those, if you do good, if you lend. Um, it's, yet it's the same saying in the Greek. It's the same saying repeated three times over. So, uh, so it's a legitimate thing to be able to, to say. What credit is it to you three times over? And we see here to love to do good and to lend is part of our natural way of thinking. Even sinners do these things. But a kingdom mindset takes us beyond the natural way of thinking. You see, because God's treatment of us enables to see what this kingdom mindset is. Jesus said in verse 35 here, God the Most High, he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Elsewhere, in Romans 5, Paul writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this all applies to everyone, every person in the crowd that Jesus is talking to, and it also applies to ourselves. While we were God's enemies, ungrateful sinners, evil, Christ died for us at this time, and thereby he manifested his love to us. So God loved his enemies 
you loved us being his enemies. As the, the song said, the um, second song I think it was today. And now we're adopted into his family, no longer his enemies. As Jesus says in verse 35, you will be sons of the Most High. And being adopted into God's family, now we are to reflect the values of his kingdom. Be merciful. Verse 36, Jesus says, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. We are to love our enemies. We who were enemies, we've been made his friends, and now we, in turn, are to love our enemies. That's what God does, and it's Jesus' command. Even if there's a cost to loving our enemies, there's a reward, verse 35, and that reward is great, will be great. If we look back at the start of Jesus' discourse, verse 22... Blessed are you when people hate you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, rejoice in the day that people hate you and leap for joy. For behold, your reward will be great in heaven. So we can rejoice in the day that people hate us knowing that our reward will be great in heaven. Now in applying all of this passage to our own lives, as you consider who is your enemies and, um, and what is your response to them. First of all, remember who God is. He's sovereign and he's the restorer. Remember who you are. You're sons and you're daughters of the Most High. You are loved and forgiven and adopted. So always remember that as we uh, go through anything where we're dealing with enemies. Secondly, put off our natural ways of thinking because with it, you won't love your enemy. Thirdly, put on a kingdom mindset. So do everything that you do in light of Jesus' kingship, in light of God's sovereignty, in light of the Spirit's equipping for us to enable us to extend love where it's not in our natural um, state to do it. And discern each situation where the enemy is threatening. Seek God on it. And consider whether the godly response in any particular situation is to let it through to the keeper or to confront it or to run or to stand firm and to take a hit. So discern each situation. So with this kingdom mindset, let God's values abound. So don't promote another's evil doing by allowing it to happen if you can do something to avert it. So, and do protect others around you who are suffering at the hands of an enemy rather than idly standing by. Fourthly, so remember who God is, put off your natural ways of thinking, put on a kingdom mindset and fourthly, especially if you're new to the faith, Jesus isn't being pre prescriptive here. He's being illustrative of the point to live according to kingdom values. So, for example, if everyone is begging from you and 
the beggar comes and they, and they go to the next beggar, hey, go to this guy because he's giving, he's keeping on giving. So if you, and you get a reputation that you're just going to give to everybody who's begging from you because Jesus gave the command, give to everyone who begs. Don't give to all of them to the point where you bleed dry because that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not being prescriptive. He's saying to uh, live according to kingdom values. And fifthly, love your enemies. It's hard. But don't throw away this part of scripture because it's hard. Do consider whether you are responding appropriately to your enemies. So are you and am I avoiding living according to kingdom values so as to avoid provoking my enemies? Am I and are you praying for my enemy? I have a friend who I just see uh, uh, once every few months. When we meet, we, we, we are friends. But I can see from what this person posts on Facebook that in the spiritual realm, we are enemies. So I've decided to pray for this person for the next three months until the next time that I'm likely to see them again. So remember to be praying. So I'll put that challenge to you as well. Pick an enemy and pray for them. I'll put that challenge to you. Now, lastly, love your enemies, but do remember that if you fail in the heat of the moment when confronted by an enemy, that in Christ you're forgiven and you're given a fresh start. I'll just give an example of, of one of my failures uh, just the other month. That's just a small example, but... Uh, going into a shop and I was waiting to be served but I was standing back, I hadn't been served yet, standing back to avoid other people with the COVID distancing and so forth and somebody came in, they went straight to the counter and they were served straight away and I let the injustice of the situation get the better of me and I called out, people should be served in the correct order. <laughs> now my, my remark did nothing <laughs> to correct the injustice. All it was ever going to do, all it was ever likely to do, was to embarrass the shop assistant and to confuse the other customer. So there's one that I should have just let go through to the keeper. But I'll finish off by giving an example of one believer's success. On Palm Sunday in 2017, extremists attacked two churches in northern Egypt. Over 40 people lost their lives and more than 100 were injured. But for one survivor, this attack was just another opportunity to spread the gospel. This survivor had lost a family member, but their response, now if I would meet the family of the attacker, the only thing I would ask them is, do you know Jesus? What a wonderful kingdom mindset to have cultivated. Let's go and do likewise.